Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. Well, God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. It was really important for us to understand why asking questions is actually the whole mode of operation here. It's how we think that we as leaders can actually engage better as we enter into a culture that's changing quite a bit. You know, as you think about the cultural landscape, the place that we sit today, we, we've used terms to describe this as postmodern, post-Christian, pluralistic, you know, all these ideas, but essentially what it means is the world has changed. In the last 10 to 20 years, significant change has been underway. It's not by accident. It's the way generations are evolving. It's the way our culture's evolving. It's the ideas that are starting to permeate our institutions, our families, our children. And so how are we as leaders going to lead through that? This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons for this weekend after Christmas. And that was a recording of Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. This weekly show is made in partnership with Q Ideas and Faith Radio. And with the holidays, Gabe is taking some time off this weekend. But that gives us an opportunity to listen to some of the great talks and insights that Gabe has shared through the years of Q Ideas. Have you ever wondered what prompted Gabe to start a movement like you? Back in 2007, when he founded Q, he wrote an essay about why he was doing it. And if you're a Q Media subscriber, you can hear him actually read that essay. Here's just a portion of it. I've heard it said that you don't choose the books you read. Great books choose you. In some peculiar way, I believe this is what happened in 1999 as I consumed Charles Coulson and Nancy Piercy's How Now Shall We Live? Never before had I planned to read a 600-page nonfiction book. But once I devoured the introduction, I couldn't put it down. On vacation in Mexico, I found myself reading this thick, hardcover, green book by the pool, on the beach, and in my room during every waking moment. My worldview was being challenged, and my view of Christian influence was being invigorated. Naturally, my wife was wondering what had gotten into me, and with good reason. When was the last time you saw a grown man creating flashcards for something that wasn't required? on vacation. Up until that time, I'd been wrestling with several questions surrounding the role of my faith in this world. I had no problem grasping the idea of eternal life and the need for personal salvation, but the answers were deficient when it came to how that practically played out during my years on this earth. I had questions like, what do non-Christians really think about Christians? Or is it really the media's fault that Christians come across as judgmental, angry, and ignorant representatives of Christ? Why am I embarrassed to call myself a Christian? Is Christianity in a crisis that no one wants to talk about? Whenever I asked these questions, I got the same answers. Everywhere I turned, it seemed the same talking points for Christianity slapped me in the face. Things like, find God's will for your life, or read your Bible and pray every day, or work on your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, be bold and evangelize those around you, or Jesus is the answer to everything. Fight for the sanctity of life and marriage. Defend truth at all costs. 
While all these statements were true, they weren't answering my questions. They felt more like circular arguments designed to stop me from thinking about my questions. Nobody addressed what to me seemed an obvious problem. Christianity has gained more conversions in America over the last 200 years than any other faith. Simultaneously, Christianity has steadily lost cultural influence despite its rapid conversion growth. As I read Colson's book for the first time in my life, I felt like a Christian had dared to set aside the talking points and go off message. Someone else recognized the problems and offered biblical and logical solutions. I began to reconnect to Christian purpose. Colson laid out all of what being a Christian was about. He challenged my worldview and invigorated my view of Christian influence. It felt simple, yet complex, true, and historic. I was convinced that everyone I knew needed to read this book. I just knew that if more Christians could grasp this bigger picture, it could change the face of Christianity throughout our nation. Unfortunately, I knew none of my 20-something friends would want to read a 600-page book. So I was left with two choices, get new friends or do everything within my grasp to take these ideas and convey them in the most practical, life-giving, and encouraging way to everyone I could. I chose the second, and I invite you to join me on the journey. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, and you just heard a portion of an essay Gabe wrote back in 2007, which he recently recorded himself reading. Now, there's a lot more to it, and you can hear the entire essay as well as other key essays, Q Talks, podcasts, and other curated content at the Q Media platform at qideas.org. And as an individual or group subscriber, that content is there to help you process so much of what's going on around us in our culture, to listen to diverse points of view, but ultimately to faithfully apply God's wisdom and a Christian view of flourishing to your business or ministry context. Learn more about Q Media at qideas.org. Now, as you heard Gabe reference in that essay, he was troubled by how the world viewed the church. A lot of it was negative, and a lot of it stemmed from an incomplete view of what the gospel is, not by the world, but by us. Early on in the history of the Q conferences, he addressed that problem. Let's listen in. Have you ever found yourself embarrassed to call yourself a Christian? Where you were in a space, maybe it was at work, maybe it was just with some friends, and you decided, you know what, I don't think I'm going to even use that name because I know what might come at me. The perceptions that people may have of me are so negative that it's really not worth the cost of just sharing simply my faith and where I come from. Well, this has been a matter of study for our work at Q for many, many years, understanding the perceptions that other generations have about Christians and culture. Back almost a decade ago, we understood that many people felt like Christians were just judgmental. They were too political. They were anti-gay. We saw numbers as high as three out of four Americans believing that Christians basically in the political realm, they only care about winning in politics. They don't really care about people. Or seven out of 10 who said, look, you don't care about me as an individual or my story. You just want to convert me to my faith. Or more recently, my book with David Kinnaman, we wrote a book called Good Faith, where we talk about the newest language to describe Christians. And it's the idea that we're irrelevant and extreme, that people basically don't think about the Christian faith anymore. They don't see it as something important to their life. They see it as something that maybe operates over here. And these people go to their churches. They enjoy their little things, their youth groups, their social settings. They pray for their meals. But it doesn't necessarily interact with their real life. It doesn't affect them. And so in that way, it's irrelevant. 
But the thing we saw in the last few years is a rising term that started to describe Christianity by almost half of Americans, and it was the word extreme. It was that our faith was no longer just irrelevant, meaning it could be just disregarded, but in fact, it had become extreme. It had become a faith that really needed to find its place, and that place needed to be a little further outside of the mainstream. And so we saw that many Americans believe that six out of 10, at least, that if you try to convert somebody to your faith, then that's an extreme act. Or 52% believe if you believe in sexual ethics, that marriage should be between a man and a woman coming out of scripture and everything else outside of that is not ordained by God. Well, then you're an extreme person. And so in the culture today, when you're extreme, you're labeled that way. It starts to create that polarization. And so for many of us, we can find ourselves having to make that choice. Am I going to talk about my faith or am I going to ignore it? We know in younger generations specifically, they're feeling that pressure. Many feel marginalized, using terms even like persecuted for their faith because they know that if they share their faith, there might be some social consequences. But you see, I would submit to you the reason we're having such a problem with our faith isn't just that people have a negative perception. It's that we've actually contributed to this negative perception, that we actually have to look at ourselves. We have to look in the mirror and understand how we've contributed to it. You see, the Christian story over 2,000 years was a story that really made sense of all of reality. It was cohesive. It was the kind of story that if you were trying to figure out the biggest questions you had in life, you looked to the Christian faith. It was the place where you could find those answers. Chuck Olson used to say that the Christian story really gives us the most comprehensive life system to every question that every human has ever raised. Where did I come from? What went wrong? How do we fix this? And then what is my purpose as I move forward? You see, these are the questions not only you wrestle with, our neighbor, neighbors wrestle with, our friends wrestle with. And when we have these questions, we need to make sense of it. It's actually not good for us as human beings to feel divided, to not know the answers to those questions. Well, I'd submit to you that the Christian story gives the best answers. It's the reason over the last 2,000 years that we've seen really smart people artists, musicians, those who've created and built societies, those who established our university system, those who created hospitals, they were motivated by the Christian faith, the, the or, origins of human rights and the whole move towards activism to defend the rights of human beings. This came out of the Christian story because it made sense of the world. But I'm afraid in the last hundred years, we've gotten away from telling the full story. We've limited this story to something Dallas Willard calls the truncated gospel, where we've really emphasized the fact that we're sinners and that we can do no right apart from God. And then the next part of the story we've emphasized is that if you accept Jesus into your life, you can be saved from not only hell, but this earth, and you can escape to heaven. And it's created a real shallow Christianity. It's created a lot of converts who've raised their hands and maybe prayed a prayer, but it hasn't created the kind of disciples that really understand how to engage this world, how to partner with God to renew things, to demonstrate and give witness to God's love for this world. And so I invite you to consider the fuller story, the story that really makes sense, the story that for 2,000 years has been told over and over again that you and I need to become much more reacquainted with. It's a story that's cohesive, and it's the beginning of the story doesn't just start with sin. It doesn't just start with the fall of mankind. It begins with God's good design and how he made every human being in his image. And not only that, he designed this universe and this world to be a place where he wanted us to enjoy it, to love it, to flourish he gave us kind of a job description, and that was to take dominion, to be a part of cultivating this earth in service to God, but also into man, 
to go build cities, to be a part of organizing. You know, Adam, in the beginning, he was given the job to name the animals, to organize. You see, as human beings, we need to understand where we come from, God's good design and his plan for us to flourish, to enjoy work, to enjoy relationship, to be a part of how he designed us to commune, not only with him, but with others. But sin came in, and this part of the story is real. It distorted all of that. You see, the enemy doesn't have the ability to create anything. All he can do is take God's good design and distort it. He literally just tinkers with it and messes it up. And you realize if you just kind of distort it 3%, you've changed the whole thing. You see, when I was looking at at rat poison and researching the way they create rat poison, 97% of the rat poison is actually food that the rat would love. It entices him, gets him involved, wants him to eat it. But it's that 3% that absolutely destroys and devastates him. Well, that's what's happening in our world in relationships, the way we treat one another, the polarization we sometimes feel, the, the ways in which we make decisions and choices that we start to experience the consequences when they're outside of God's design. And all along, the enemy's distorting God's good design and trying to tempt us to enjoy the distortion, to even think the distortion was God's good design. But in fact, through Christ, as we move into this story, we do have the opportunity to be redeemed, to move into right relationship with him. Because once we're in that established place and we know who we are, and we start to understand who we are because not we're looking in the mirror and just trying to understand our own feelings, our own desires, but we know who God is. And by knowing who God is, it's this fixed point outside of ourselves that helps us start to know who we are and who we're meant to be. And we can walk forward with him into this fourth part of the story, the idea of restoration, and he's called all of us to be a part of renewal, of restoring, to, re- to redeem the world alongside him. Through the power of his spirit, he gives us good works that we would walk into them. He gives us creativity and imagination to inhabit every area of this world, not just the church, but every industry, media, arts and entertainment, business, politics. We're to walk into all of these spaces bringing a kingdom vision, a vision that says, look, some things are broken, some things are distorted because the enemy wants to distort it. He wants to confuse us. He wants to create chaos. But through my understanding of who God is, he's called me to be a part of what he wants to do there. And then we start to dream. We start to imagine, how would this look like one day if it wasn't distorted? What will this look like one day in the kingdom of God? And then we invite him into that process to partner with us, to help us start to create tangible expressions of what the kingdom of God would look like. You see, when we start to tell this story and give people this story, we give them a cohesive and a coherent story. People today reject Christianity many times because the story we hand them is kind of like me handing you a great novel. And I've ripped out the first 100 pages and you try to get into the story, but you don't realize where it began. You don't know the characters. You don't know how they developed. And then all of a sudden you just start to get into the story and you get to the final part. And I've ripped the last 100 pages out and you don't see how it resolves. You don't understand where the story was going. You'd be frustrated at me. You'd be mad. You'd be angry that I tried to tell you the story and you wasted a lot of time and you never really understood it and you would reject it. But when you start to give people the real novel, when you help them understand that their biggest questions about where they came from and what's gone wrong and how this can be fixed and how they can be a part of experiencing meaning and purpose by finding their purpose in God, you're actually answering the deepest questions that they're wrestling with on their own, maybe late at night as they're lying in their bed wondering, why am I here? What is this all about? And that's what Christianity has always done. It's been a story that made sense of all reality. It wasn't a leap of faith to believe it. It was actually something that when you really took time to understand it and think about it, 
It helped us all understand who we are as human beings and how to live out that abundant life. And that again was Gabe Lyons, who is normally in studio with us here on Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. But during this holiday season, he and his family are enjoying some time together. So we're listening to some of the talks by Gabe and learning what drives him and the Q organization. Actually, recently, I had a listener contact us here at Faith Radio asking, what does the Q and Q Ideas stand for? I think we'll get an answer from Gabe shortly here as we listen to another talk that he gave early in the history of the Q conferences. I thought it was important to talk about questions. I thought it was really important for us to understand why asking questions is actually the whole mode of operation here. It's how we think that we as leaders can actually engage better as we enter into a culture that's changing quite a bit. You know, as you think about the cultural landscape, the place that we sit today, we, we've used terms to describe this as postmodern, post-Christian, pluralistic, you know, all these ideas, but essentially what it means is the world has changed. In the last 10 to 20 years, significant change has been underway. It's not by accident. It's the way generations are evolving. It's the way our culture's evolving. It's the ideas that are starting to permeate our institutions, our families, our children. And so how are we as leaders going to lead through that? How are we going to hold tight to the gospel? How are we going to hold tight to historic Christian ideas and yet move forward in a modern world that's demanding we have answers to these questions. You see, I think there's an incredible opportunity in this. I'm enthused and excited that so many of you have engaged with us over these many years to start thinking well about how do we engage this new landscape. You know, many of us have never been here before. I know I haven't. When I moved from Atlanta four years ago to Manhattan, it was incredible culture shock. We went from a place where being a Christian in the South was something everybody just sort of assumed about one another to a place where only 3% of the city of 8 million are evangelical. And so you immediately realize what it means to be the church. Being a Christian is not a popular thing. It's not a label you want to put out there because it immediately is met with distancing, with we don't really need to hear your ideas. And yet we believe Christian ideas are actually what have given roots to a flourishing civilization. We think these ideas matter in our world today, but we think we as Christians haven't necessarily done a great job of putting our best foot forward into how our ideas can engage the world. And that's what this is about. So as we think about the next couple of days, I want you to think about some questions. I want you to think about what are these questions in which we can maybe frame how we're going to engage the world. Because you see, part of our idea here is, is we're, we're becoming a little more countercultural, right? As Christians, some of our ideas no longer are in lockstep with where the culture's going. Maybe 20 years ago they were. Maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago they were right in step with where culture was going. But now things are changing. And so we find ourselves actually having to run a little counter to the way the culture's going. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean we have to be antagonistic. We're fighting against culture. We're constantly telling everybody what's wrong with them. Instead, it just means we need to understand what we're about. We need to get really clear on that. And then we need to walk forward with boldness and courage and faithfulness, believing that God's gonna take care of results and our job's to be faithful. So as you think about it, I've got four questions I want you to be asking. You're gonna see all these presentations over the next few days are gonna engage around one of these questions. And so I just wanna kind of give you a structure for how you might think about it. The first question 
is what is wrong. And so when you think about what is wrong in the world, our job as Christians are to stop and confront that. Now that can feel a bit antagonistic, but let me give you an example. What it means to stop and confront something is that you see something so wrong in the world, so evil in the world, that you have to do something about it. I think of somebody like Gary Haugen, you'll hear from later today, who realized violence is causing irreparable harm in the whole process of why people can't seem to get out of poverty. So what does he do? He stops and confronts it, but he doesn't just antagonize and tell everybody what's wrong with this. What he does is starts to create something like international justice mission to start to change that. That's the way we as Christians have to be leading. So we start with understanding what is wrong. We can't walk away from this, folks. Sometimes it's not popular to point out what's wrong and to stop and confront it, right? This isn't where you get the most accolades culturally, but this is what faithfulness has always looked like for centuries of what it means to be a Christian. So we have to have a good lens on what is, what is wrong in our world? How are we called to stop uh, and confront that? The next question, what is confused? You see, in our world, there's a ton of confusion. There's a lot of people asking a lot of questions. They don't know what to think anymore. They don't know what's true. They don't know what's moral and immoral. And so there's a lot of confusion. Our job as Christians is to clarify and compel. We're to come into this confusion with clarity. And over these next two days, I hope you get clarity. You get clarity on some definitions. You get clarity on how you can engage winsomely in some of the toughest, most difficult conversations of our time. And then we can compel people forward into a new way of living. The next question is what is good? You see, I think for a long time, we as Christians haven't been too good at asking this question. What is good in the world? There's a lot of things that are good in the world that aren't labeled Christian. There's a lot of people who are good in the world who don't call themselves Christians, but there's a lot of good happening in our world and our jobs to celebrate that and to cultivate it. And so you can do that in film and music and art. You can also do it in organizations and businesses that aren't even led by Christian leaders, but are doing good things in the world. We should be the first as Christians to celebrate that. When we did our research back, David Kinnaman and I in 2007 launched the book Unchristian. You know, one of the huge themes that ran through that is that Christians are judgmental. You see, being judgmental, if you really look at the definition of that, means we're very quick and eager to point out what's wrong with you. We see it, and then we point it out, and we label you that way. One of the great things to know is, what if we were known as Christians for knowing how to point out what's great in the world, what's good, what's true, what's beautiful? Where is justice going forward? And we were to be known as the ones who, in our own minds, are constantly curating and understanding what's good and celebrating those things and celebrating people who are doing great work in the world, regardless of whether they call themselves Christian or not. You see, this is the idea of common grace going forward. And we as Christians need to get better at how we celebrate that. Over these next few days, you're going to see a lot of celebration of some great things happening in our culture. And finally, we have to ask the toughest question, which is what is missing? Now, this is the toughest question because it actually requires imagination. See, there's something in the world right now that just doesn't exist, but I believe God's counting on somebody in this room to create, to start, to cultivate. And many of us will shrink from that responsibility because we think, oh God, use somebody else. You don't need to use me. I, I can't do it. I'm, I'm too broken. I've had too many bad things happen in my past. You can't possibly use me. And yet he's saying to you over these next couple of days, no, I'm talking to you and you and you. And I want you to create and I want you to catalyze the things in our world that are missing right now that I've put in your heart for you to dream and imagine. 
And maybe there's nobody else in the room today that has this burden or has this thought and it's only you and God's counting on you to be bold and faithful and to step forward. I hope you get courage over these next couple of days to take those next steps, that you meet somebody in this room that will help you and encourage you as you try to engage in that thing that's missing in our world today, but that needs to be created. You know, for us, we started Q eight years ago because we thought this was missing. We thought there wasn't actually a place where Christian leaders were able to come together and not feel like they had all the answers and not be preached at all day, but literally come together with questions and ask and dialogue and learn and be exposed to people with different opinions and to start to learn what it means to be thoughtful. And, and, and because of that, we've seen amazing things start to take place because of you engaging that, starting to live it out in your communities. So these are the four questions, but finally, you know, we can ask all the right questions. We can try to respond well, but if we don't have the proper tone as Christians in this day, it's like a big gong. Nobody cares. So we can have all the right answers. We can be trying to engage the world right, but if our tone is one of judgmentalism, of condemnation, where we actually don't know what hope we have in us and what it has to offer to this world, then we can find we actually aren't offering much at all and people are rejecting it, not because it's not true. They're rejecting it because we were careless in how we presented it. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, and that again, another great talk from Gabe. You know, most of the talks you hear on our show are available to you as a subscriber to the Q Media platform at qideas.org. Of course, a lot of the talks originate at our annual Q conferences. And as we wind down 2019, we do hope you consider coming or actually getting a group of friends together and traveling to Nashville in April, which is a great time to visit Nashville, by the way, for Q 2020. With this coming year shaping up to be an incredibly rancorous year, what can we as Christians do to provide solid answers and real hope? Gabe and his team have lined up a great group of thought leaders to help us ask good questions, to stay curious, to think well, and to advance good. Register for the Q Conference at qideas.org slash 2020. On behalf of Gabe and the Q team, I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Have a happy new year, and we hope you join us next week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.